Also, just to let you know, this last week was the premiere of the movie called Jesus Revolution. Jesus Revolution, we got a a pre-release license to show it. We showed it a few times here at the church in our old building just a couple of months ago. And this is the story of the Jesus Revolution that started in 1969, largely kind of came out of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Actually, it came to Calvary, Costa Mesa. They reluctantly received it and then, and, then, and then accepted it, and then it exploded all over the United States. So if you have a chance, go see the movie, Jesus Revolution. I've seen it four or five times right now. I got to watch all the pre-release stuff. It is well worth your time. And then, and then at the end of that thing, remember what the Lord can do. The scripture says that the, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking those whose heart is wholly his, so that he may strongly support them and move in them. Guys, let's pray that God does that. And let's also be that people whose heart is fully devoted to the Lord. Is that good enough? Because I tell you what, if your heart's half devoted, don't expect anything. That's what the book of James says. Let that man, if he's double-minded, not expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. You've got to be either all in, or Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. That's what Jesus said. And so if you're not for him, how do you know if you're for him? Well, that you follow him. And you don't just add him to your list of things to do. He is your, what's that word that starts with L and ends with D? He is your Lord. Another way of saying that is he's the boss. He's the king of your life. And I want to encourage you as we walk through some scripture this morning, if Jesus isn't the king of your life, if he's, if he's riding in the back seat, if he's, if he's like an idol that you put on the shelf because you want to miss hell, but you want him in, you know, you want him that much, but you're not sure how much you want him, I want to ask you today to follow Jesus, pick up your cross and follow him. Get devoted, stop playing church, get serious and watch God do amazing things through you. Now I could end my sermon right there. But like I, we discussed earlier, I'm not. This guy came up to me during the greeting time and he says, you know, Mick, the people, you know what they're thinking? The longer that they greet each other, the, the, the shorter the sermon will be. <laughs> and he said, but they don't know that that has nothing to do with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Turn in your Bible, if you would, to the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. We are walking through some of the details of Jesus arrested, Jesus standing before the Sanhedrin, before Pontius Pilate, before King Herod, before Pontius Pilate again. And then we're coming to that last section of of his trial, so to speak. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords is on trial in front of the governor. And the governor doesn't get that he's not the boss. You remember what Pilate said? Jesus, why are you not responding to me? Don't you know that I have the power over you that you would live or you would die? I have power of life or death over you. And Jesus finally responded to him and said, you would have no power except it was given to you from above. And then Pilate goes, gulp. Um, Hey, would... uh, would you do me a favor and close that door so that we don't disturb the children while they're in there? 
or vice versa. So here we are at the end of the trial with Pilate. And what, as we read through this, I want you to see today three encounters on the way to Calvary. The first is with a rebel rouser, and one convicted of treason against the Roman Empire. His name is Barabbas. The second is with a group of soldiers. And then the third is with this guy that you may or may not have ever heard of called Simon of Cyrene. Those three different encounters. That's where we're going this morning. So let's just right now, I just want to read through the text, make a few quick comments as we read through it, and then I want to go back and take a look at things as they pertain to Barabbas, the soldiers, and Simon of Cyrene. Here we are, Matthew, I did it again. I've been really good about this. Mark, not Matthew, Mark, chapter 15, verse 4, Pilate questioned Jesus again, saying, do you not answer? See how many charges they, that is the chief priests, they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. Now, in Isaiah 53, it says that the Messiah, the suffering Messiah, would be led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before his shearers, so Jesus too would be silent. So Messiah would be silent. This is fulfilling what Isaiah said. You have no further, nothing to say? And of course, that's where we jumped into our conversation last week between Jesus and Pilate actually discussing that, yes, Jesus is the king, but no, his kingdom is not of this earthly realm. He's not here to overthrow Rome. He's here to establish another king, another kingdom. And I want to tell you, you guys are all invited to be in that kingdom. But you have to make a decision to accept to be a part of that kingdom. Here's the deal. There are three things that are needed for a kingdom. You know what they are? What's the very, very first? You need a king. Yeah, and what's the second thing? You need a subject. And what's the third thing? You need a place or a domain, a realm. You need a king. Guys, Jesus already has that role. Don't even try to get there. You, he's the king. You, if you're willing to be a loyal subject of the king, And then what is the realm? Where is his kingdom influence from your life? It comes in the space that you occupy. And as you go place to place, and as you go to the store, and as you go to work, and as you go to your neighbors and pick up the dog poop that their dog pooped on your lawn, and if you do all of these things, guess what? Jesus is king of your life. And the way that you act, the way that you think will determine, will not determine, it'll display whether or not he's the king of your life. That's the realm. Don't worry about the political overthrow. As we're finding out Wednesday nights, yes, there will be a political overthrow that Jesus will come at just the right time as is prophesied and will establish his kingdom at the end of that seven-year final period of man's history, commonly called the tribulation period, biblically called the 70th week of Daniel, that Jesus will return and establish his kingdom, and it will be a physical kingdom. He will rule this planet. He will rule with righteousness. And as I've shared before, I can't even imagine a government that rules with righteousness. But there will be one. So there will come that time. Even when Jesus ascended to heaven in Mark, or in Mark Acts chapter 1, the disciples said, Lord, is it at this time, right now? 
you're raised from the dead. Is it that this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, you have no need to know times or seasons, epics, but this is what I want you to know. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and into the uttermost parts of the world. That's what I want you to know. Let me and dad worry about the kingdom. That political kingdom. Pilate. Pilate, I think, took a big gulp. When Jesus said, yes, I'm a king, but I'm a kingdom of a different realm. And then Pilate asked him, where are you from? And his answer was from above. Now, if that was not a uh-oh, gulp moment for Pilate, I don't know what was. We go back to verse 6 is where Mark picks up the narrative now at the feast. So it's Feast of, of Pentecost. I'm sorry, Feast of Passover. He... Being Pilate, Pontius Pilate, he's the Roman governor. According to Roman law, yes, he does have the power of life and death over people. And it's his prerogative and his custom at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. So here's the way Pilate tried to be kind of Mr. Politically minded with the Jewish people, is that he would release to them a prisoner every Passover to kind of, kind of throw them a bone and let them know that he really loved the Jewish people when he really hated the Jewish people. But this is what he would do, release one. And so the man, it says, verse 7, here's where we're introduced to Barabbas. And by the way, Barabbas is one of the few characters in Scripture that all four Gospels present. Translation, this is really important for God that we see this. Barabbas, the man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the insurrection. So let me ask you the question. Barabbas, good good guy, bad guy? Really bad guy. Okay, so keep that in mind. So the crowd went up. It's that time where Pilate's going to say, I got prisoners here. I'll let one of them go because I'm such a nice guy. The crowd went up and they began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. And Pilate answered, who do you want me or do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Jesus. For he was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. You see, Jesus had a following that was based upon loving, devoted disciples. The chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees had a following that was based upon fear, that was based upon religion and power. Jesus' followers loved him. Well, he also provided free food a lot. You can imagine. They followed him voluntarily. The followers of the chief priests It wasn't a voluntary thing. It was the chief priests and the Pharisees were going to tell you what you were doing wrong. Don't you love it if you go to church and somebody points at you and tells you what you're doing wrong as if you didn't already know? You know, it's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's God's job to point out your sin. It's not my job. So if I say something and you think, man, how did he know that? Did somebody call him and tell him what I've been doing? And some of you have experienced that before, right? But not just with me, but with, with other people. 
just understand, sometimes the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our mouth and we say something, don't even remember what we said, and it hits your heart because it pegs you completely. And you go, how did he know? Well, we don't. God does. Anyway, do you want me to release this one? The one that, and he's thinking that you handed over to me because of envy, because I've already told you two times, I have found no fault in him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. And answering again, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? Guys, that is the big question for Pilate, and that's the big question for you. What are you going to do with Jesus? You know, we used to complain. I used to work for a major oil company in the San Francisco area. I worked for Chevron Oil for five years. I advanced a little bit within their purchasing department. I had a job that completely suited me. I was in their purchasing department. I was able to, my last job before I left there, I was able to negotiate annual contracts with providers of lead to put into the gasoline. And I loved it. You guys that know me, you know that I'm, I'm real good with budgeting, with figures. You, if you listen real carefully, I squeak when I walk. I'm so tight, you know. <laughs> but that was a perfect job for me. <laughs> and I don't remember where I was going with this illustration. <laughs> It'll come back to me. Okay, so then let's just... So put it on, if I don't remember it, you probably won't either. But here's the big question. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do? Oh, oh, I remember what it was. (laughs) Senior moment. Okay, I get three of them per sermon. We used to complain at Chevron. Because Chevron was a very political, can you imagine CDC, whatever, it's big companies, big organizations. Sometimes they're very political and you get advanced, not always because of what you do, but because of who you know. know. And so it got me when I saw some guys that I thought, this guy should never have gotten promoted. He's one of the most inept people I've ever seen and now he's manager of a department. And I'm thinking, who did he know? Well, I... It hit me, so I began sharing the gospel like this to people at that company while I was still there, and that going to heaven is a lot like getting promoted at this company. It doesn't matter what you do. It's all about who you know. And guys, it doesn't matter. You can't be good enough to get to heaven on your own. Did you know that? That none of us can earn it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that our best righteous deeds is kind of like filthy rags. And, and the term that's used is really gross filthy rags before God. There's nothing that we, we can't earn our way. This heaven thing is a free gift. The only thing that you can do to get to heaven is receive the gift that's been offered to you. That's your part. Now, actually, Jesus makes it a little bigger. He says, repent. That means change your way of direction, do a 180, just like a skateboarder. Best example of repentance I've ever seen. They're going, and they do a, I tried that once, I ended up on the ground. I didn't even 
do a quarter, much less a full repent. But the, Jesus said, repent. That means stop living for you and live for God. Stop doing it your way. Do it his way. Make him the Lord of your life. Repent and believe the gospel. There's nothing that we can do to get to heaven except receive what he has offered us. And that's the good news. If, if I'm telling you that you have to work for your salvation, that you have to check all these boxes and do all these things, that's not good news, guys. That's bad news because you could never fully do it. The good news is Jesus loves you, doesn't care what your past has been. He reaches out to you and he says, if you'll allow me, I'll take your sin, your punishment on me. I'll give you the life. I'll give you the consequence that I deserve from a perfect life. I'll give you heaven. But you have to say yes to that change. Wonderful thing. Pilate says to them, what shall I do with him who you call king of the Jews? And they shouted, crucify him. Now, in the book of Matthew, it's at about this time that Pilate gets a quick message that's sent by his wife that says, don't have anything to do with that righteous man because I had a dream last night and was very, very troubled by him. Don't do anything to this Jesus character. And now Pilate is having his second gulp moment. Then Pilate says to them, well, why, Jesus, what evil has he done? And when they shouted all the more, crucify him. So wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, this is the way Mark presents one of the most horrific events in the life of Jesus. In about six words, after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Barabbas was released. Let's talk about Barabbas for a minute and then we'll go to the soldiers. Barabbas was guilty of insurrection against the Roman Empire. Barabbas had participated in an uprising. <laughs> I was kind of thinking, how would this uprising be, clarif- or be, be, be explained by some of our news outlets? Well, it was mostly peaceful, right? It was an uprising protesting Rome's oppressive government And it resulted in the murder of individuals. And Barabbas was guilty. Now, how would Rome look at this guy? They want him dead. Treason against Rome. How would the Jews look at this guy? They might look at him as a folk hero. Because all of the Jews hated being under the oppressive rulership of Rome. And so somebody that's willing to stand up and even act out against this evil empire. He's my hero. So I want you to think when these people were crying out, release Barabbas, release Barabbas. It's like, at least Barabbas is for us. He's against Rome and for us. This would be the hardest political decision for Pilate to make and to explain to his superiors of why he released somebody who was guilty of treason against Rome. Do you see the the tension here? But yet he does it. Now, what happened to Barabbas? First, I want to say this. Barabbas deserved death. Under the Roman law, insurrection and treason against Rome, you deserve death. And all of a sudden, Jesus is dying instead of Barabbas. 
you could say that Barabbas was the first one who illustrated that Jesus Christ died for me. But Barabbas, history is somewhat silent. There are some traditions of what happened to Barabbas. One of them is that he continued to be a Jewish revolt leader against Rome. And according to Roman law, he'd already been condemned to death. And so even though he'd been pardoned, he'd already been condemned once. You couldn't then condemn him to death again. Because he'd already been condemned to death and then pardoned. So one history says Barabbas remained a, a, a rapscallion. And he was a bad guy until the day he died. And then 1961 came along when Hollywood gave another ending to the story. Some of you may have seen the movie Barabbas. Anybody seen the 1961 movie Barabbas? I saw it years and years ago. It's a great, oh, if you like old flicks, it's a great old flick. And it's, it's fictional based on a fact character, but it's kind of fictional. Here's the way it, it presents the story. Barabbas gets released, and first thing he wants to do is come back to his his girl, who was part of the insurrection with him, but he finds that his girl is now a Jesus follower. Whoa, don't you hate it when that happens? <laughs> and so he comes, and, and so they're apart now, and he continues a life of crime, and then he is eventually uh, arrested again, and they can't kill him this time. He's, uh, he's done some horrific thing. They can't kill him this time, so they put him in a Roman jail, and the dude gets, for 10 or something years, he gets chained to a Christian who's also in the Roman jail, <laughs> hearing about Jesus all the time. This is back when Hollywood made good movies. And so he, he finally, he's, at, he, he's, a, he's a studly guy, and he gets trained to be a gladiator to fight in the Colosseum in Rome to kill Christians. So he gets trained to do that. And then I'm not going to give you all the rest of the story because I'll, I'll blow it for you if you want to go watch it. 1961, Anthony Quinn, Barabbas. Good story. Yeah, I will tell you the rest, okay? <laughs> so he, through this long process, he becomes a Jesus follower. And at the end of the movie, ends up imprisoned with Peter in Rome again. And because now, not insurrection against Rome, but because he's a Christian, when Peter gets crucified, Barabbas gets crucified at the side. So now I've blown the movie for you. We don't know what happened really to Barabbas. History has some thoughts, but we don't know. But all we know is this. Barabbas is just like you and me. We were on our way. The wages of sin, help me out, guys, is, is death. Eternal separation from God. And Jesus died in our place. That's Barabbas. I want you to see that picture. Verse 16, I want you to see the soldiers. The soldiers took him away into the place, the praetorium, where they call, that's the Roman gathering place there in Jerusalem. They took Jesus away, the soldiers. Now, remember, he's come back from Herod. At this time, Herod, to insult Jesus, we read in one of the other Gospels, put this lavish robe of a king on Jesus and sent him back to Pilate. Okay, the soldiers took him away. They called together the whole Roman cohort, the whole battalion. So there's a bunch of soldiers in this place. 
They dressed him up in purple. They got the robe that Herod had given. They dressed him in this robe. And then they twisted a crown of thorns together and shoved it on his head. They began then to acclaim him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! Obviously, an insulting way, a demeaning way. They kept beating his head with a reed. Why didn't they use their hands? Because they didn't want to get stuck with the thorns. So they're hitting him with a stick and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. I want you to, to just know in passing that all of the stuff that the Roman soldiers did to him was prescribed as the response of Rome, how they would treat people who had been, been convicted of various crimes. Some of them, they would be spit upon. Some of them, they would be hit. Some of them, they'd be tied up. So, and everything that happens to Jesus as though he was guilty of a whole barrage of different crimes in the Roman Empire. What had really happened is he had taken upon himself the pure Lamb of God had taken upon himself the sins of all mankind, including yours. And this is the stuff that Rome says you and I deserved because of our sin. But this crown of thorns thing, don't you wish, or where did thorns come from, by the way? Does anybody remember the first mention in the Bible of thorns? Yeah, Genesis chapter 3. And to the, the ground, the Lord cursed and caused thorns and thistles to come up to make man cultivating the ground, make man's work really hard. And this sign of man's sin, the thorns that came up in the garden, isn't it interesting that that's what they choose to weave together and shove on the head of Jesus as a crown? The very picture, the illustration of original sin shoved on the head of Jesus. And after they mock him, verse 20, they took the purple robe off him and they put on his own garment. So they've taken this fancy robe off. One of the other gospels says they're going to they're gonna, uh, take the robe and instead of tearing it apart and giving it to the different soldiers, they're going to cast lots for it because it was a beautiful piece of material, expensive piece. So they didn't want to mess it up. They didn't want to mess it up. And at this point, probably had a bunch of the blood of the king of kings on it. They put his own garments on him. They led him out to crucify him. Now, at this point, Jesus has already been, verse 15, already been scourged. The scourging that Jesus underwent was to be stripped down. That's why the robe was off him in the first place when he got, the soldiers got him again. <laughs> stripped down and tied around a post where you couldn't move your hands or your arms. And then on your knees, tied around a post, and then Roman guards who were skilled at this are going to whip you 39 times. Not with a regular whip, but with a whip, a cat of nine tails is what they called it, with these multiple, at the end of the, at the, end of the whip, came out these multiple legs, thongs of leather that in them had bones, metal, glass, and different chips so that as as they whipped the prisoner and then it would stick into their skin and they would whip it off, rip it off. This, and if you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ, it's a pretty good rendition of what Jesus actually went through. It's, it's so gory. That's why it's rated R. It's so gory. But guys, Jesus did this. Why? 
for you. He took the punishment upon himself for you because he loved you. So they bring him back. They put this robe back on him. It's probably now sticking to his skin because of the blood, all of this stuff. Hail, king of the Jews. And they start hitting him and mocking him and all of this stuff. I want to let you know that as you go through life, there are people that are going to be like these soldiers. Now, they're not going to necessarily beat you up, but they're going to mock you like crazy, and they're going to make you feel like you're the oddball, you're the weirdo, you're the crazy person. I have found, I've been around now six decades, and I found, I found that everybody's a little crazy. It's just a question of what are you crazy for? Some people are crazy for some guys. I'm sorry, you're crazy for women. Women, some of you women are crazy for guys. <laughs> We're all messed up. Some people are crazy for fun and high adrenaline activity. Some are crazy for drugs and alcohol. Some are crazy for a sports team. You're all crazy. I'm crazy for Jesus. How about you? King. Ha! Some people, they are going to mock you. Jesus said, hey, if they love me, they'll love you. But if they didn't love you, they hated me. Guess what, guys? Don't be surprised. They're going to hate you too. So just stand up. Stand up. So some people, there are going to be some soldiers in your life. I hopefully, hopefully you're not one of the evil soldiers in somebody else's life. Okay, I want to go third. Verse 21. Simple verse. They pressed into, oh, wait a minute. They led him out, verse 20, into verse 20. They put his own garments on him. So he took off the beautiful robe. Cast lots for that. Put his own garments back on. And when somebody was crucified, basically they were just crucified in a loincloth. That's all they were. Yeah, if even that. But they put his own garments on him. They led him out to crucify him. Mark doesn't talk a whole lot about the trip up to Mount Calvary. But Jesus is carrying his own cross, probably the beam, probably about 15 foot. The, the, the cross beam, probably about 8 foot. And after experiencing this incredible beating, 39 lashes. By the way, Roman law, if you, were, if you got 40 lashes, that was the death penalty. And they couldn't do anything else to you in your life because you were considered dead even if you survived. They give him 39. Paul says there were times where he got the 39 lashes as well. Jesus whipped like crazy, now carrying his cross, and he stumbles under the weight of it. So, verse 21, they pressed into service a passerby coming by the country. And this guy was Simon of Cyrene. Did you know that Simon of Cyrene was the guy who carried the cross? And then Mark says, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as though his readers should know who Alexander and Rufus are. And they did. And they pressed into service Simon of Cyrene to bear the cross. And so as Jesus faltered and fell, Simon picks up the cross. Now, how did they press him into service? Here was Roman law. If a Roman guard took his spear sidewise and slapped you on, the, on either of the shoulders, that he was, he was ordering you to do something. He could order you to carry something for, I forget what the stadia was, but it was virtually almost a mile. That's what, you remember Jesus said, when they, when they press you and make you walk a mile, walk two? And basically what he's doing is he's referring to this Roman 
custom that a soldier can make you walk a mile. And so they press Simon into service. Simon picks up this heavy cross and begins to drag it toward Mount Calvary. I want you to know, Simon, now we, we see him again. We see this Simon the Cyrene again. We see him in Acts chapter 13. He's one of the teachers and prophets of the new church. But I want you to know that Simon of Cyrene no doubt did not come to Jerusalem on this particular week to meet Jesus. He came to Jerusalem to come to the Passover because he was a good Jewish guy. And while he was going through the ritual Jewish worship, he sees Jesus. Did any of you come to know and meet Jesus when you weren't, you didn't think you were looking for him, but it was like he showed himself to you? Bingo, here you are. And you go, oh. Because that's what happened with Simon. Simon later is said to be one of the teachers and prophets of the early church. Here is this guy. What was his encounter with Jesus? He carried his cross. He watched him. He probably then stood by and watched him get crucified. He probably stood by and watched all of the nature turn dark and black and the sun hidden for those three hours. He probably heard Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He probably watched all of that. And then the next week finds out this guy that they brutally crucified, he's alive. And he comes and he puts his faith in Jesus. How do we know? Because he's a leader in the church. In just months later, maybe a few short years later. But the thing I want you to see is Mark made a special point when he said Simon picked up the cross of Jesus. He refers, oh, he's the dad of Alexander and Rufus. How many of you know who Alexander and Rufus are? I didn't either. But as you look in the scripture, Alexander appears in Acts chapter 19. He's one of the followers of Jesus. Rufus appears in Romans chapter 16, verse 13. Rufus is called out by the Apostle Paul as one, a beautiful brother chosen by God. What am I saying? I'm saying that dad made a decision to follow Jesus and it affected his two young adult sons, Rufus and Alexander, so much that Rufus and Alexander then go on to serve Jesus. Guys, I wanted to... And I, I, when I read this, and I was thinking through this and meditating this on, on this, I came to tears this week. Because I had to think about my family. I'm one of four children, three boys, a girl... And in 1969, I was 13 years old, and something happened in our family. You see, we were a really good family. We were kind of an Aussie and Harriet, real high moral standard kind of a family. Good family. My brother, me, my older brother and I mostly, not so much my younger brother, but we were sports nuts. We played all the sports. We were, I mean, sports was everything. My dad was an Indian guide leader. But little did I know that my dad was searching for truth. Even he went so far as to go to seances and look into the occult and spiritism, looking to try to find the truth. And then 1969 comes around, 
And my dad says, he calls a family meeting on a Saturday night, and he says, hey, guys, I want you to know, tomorrow we're going to go to church together as a family. And us four kids looked at each other like, we're going to go to what? We had never gone to church as a family. As a matter of fact, uh, about a year and a half before, my mom and dad decided that they were going to drop us off at the local Lutheran church down the street. Just kind of get rid of my brother and I for the morning, I think, and then we would come home. But see, then it became, after a while of that, it became my brother and my responsibility to go wake mom and dad so that they could take us and drop us off at the church. And we always overslept and forgot that we didn't actually get to wake them up. Well, I think my parents, they, they, they could see the writing on the wall. They, and so my dad says, look, and he was searching. And he says, when I was a kid, I remember, and his dad died. His dad, my dad's dad died when my dad was three years old. He never really knew his dad. When my mom used to take us to church and going to church, if that was good enough for my mom, it's good enough for us. So he calls us together and says, tomorrow we're going to go to church together as a family. And we're like, what? And then, so he opens up the yellow pages. This is back before internet. He opens the yellow pages and he says, we're going boom, to this church. And it's a church that said something Baptist church, a church of the old gospel. He said, if the old gospel was good enough for my mom, it's good enough for us. Now, my dad was really cool. I didn't know how cool he was. He died when I was 20, when I still didn't think he was real cool. But I later found out how cool he really was. And the older I have gotten, the more I have begun to look like him. I realized that he was really a good-looking dude, too. So, <laughs> But my dad did this. We're going to church at this church. We didn't know Jesus. So he puts on, this is back when people went to church, they wore their their little, their white shirt and their skinny tie and their nice, you know, nice pants. My dad put on a loud red and white shirt and khaki pants. And he said, We're, it, I later found out, mom said he did that because he was going to see whether the church people would accept him or not. I thought, I like the way that dude thinks. That was so good. But anyway, we're going to church. And within a few months, all of us, had come to Jesus. Our whole family, December 29th or 31st of that year, we were baptized. And we, and what I want you to know is my dad, just like this guy, Simon, my dad picked up the cross of Jesus. He only lived eight more years until he died. In those eight years, he was a changed man who followed Jesus. We still played ball. We still did all that other stuff. But Jesus was clearly the head of our family. And my dad, when he died, we had no, we had no wondering. He, I don't think he had any wondering. He had seen faith built in each of his children. I've gone on to be a, a missionary and a pastor. My Two brothers have been elders of their church, and one of them an assistant pastor at his church. My, my sister is married to a wonderful guy, a, a missionary kid, and, and we all love Jesus. And you look, you look in the generations before us, and they were good, good people, but nobody was sold out for Jesus. 
And then you look at our families, and all of a sudden, it's like the Lord did something. Why? Because like Simon, my dad picked up the cross of Jesus, and he was willing to make an impact and to be a leader of our family with Jesus at the center. Am I making sense to anybody? And I want to tell you dads who are here, or grandpas, hey, have fun with your kids and do all that, but if you don't lead them to Jesus, you're missing the incredible opportunity to, leg- to leave a legacy that's going to be an eternal legacy. I am so dad, I'm so glad my dad found Jesus. Now, yeah, we kind of thought he was nuts at first. But then when we understood the gospel, we understood this is good, this is good. And it changed our life. My dad picked up the cross of Jesus. Guys, Jesus said, you want to follow me? Take up your cross and follow me. Simon's the first guy that did that. Let's be guys that do that. Let's be guys that our children, our grandkids, the people that are, that are influenced by us, they see us picking up the cross of Jesus. I don't know how I can say that anymore or any different than that. I hope that's making sense. And I want you to know what you do today with Jesus when you answer that question from Pilate. What do I do with this man called the King of the Jews? What do I do with this man? When you answer that question and you decide, I'm going to serve, I'm going to submit to this king and this Lord, and I'm going to follow him, you make a decision that's going to impact. It could impact multiple people in your family, and your friend circle. It could impact them for generations. Following Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you that you called my dad at a, at a time to take up your cross and to follow you. Lord, I want to thank you that you have called all of us. You've invited all of us to take up our cross, to follow you, to say no to this world and yes to you. And Lord, I pray, I pray that we would be a congregation of people who don't just hear your word and encouraging messages, but we would be people that pick up your cross and follow you. Lord, that we would be cross-eyed Christians, that everything we see would be through the filter of the cross in our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us. Lord, help us today to make a decision to follow you fully, holding nothing back. Guys, keep your head bowed, your eyes.